Welcome to Life Bridge Online. Whenever it is that you're watching this, we are grateful that you are giving us the opportunity to minister to your life. We pray often that no matter what you are doing, as you hear this, as you watch this, whether you're commuting to work or doing chores around the house, we pray that God's word will meet you where you are. Uh, the things that you're doing, the task that you might be doing, and we, we pray that they're not a distraction for the word of God to speak into your life. And maybe you're sitting at home just watching this as part of your Sunday morning routine. We are grateful and we pray the same thing for you as well, that God's word will meet you where you are. In just a few weeks, Father's Day weekend actually, the the Gridiron Men's Conference is coming to the Huntsville area. Uh, this conference is one of the best men's conferences you can find, and people come from all over the nation to participate in this. If you're listening to this and you're a man, you have the opportunity to go to it, I encourage you to do so. You will not regret it. One of the speakers this year is Jonathan Evans. He is the son to the extremely gifted and God-ordained minister, Tony Evans. Tony leads a mega church of over 10,000 members, and God is using him in tremendous ways. Jonathan is following in his father's footsteps as someone who is a gifted communicator and God is using him and the gifts that he's giving to him to reach men all the time. I was able to hear some of Jonathan's story the other day in an interview. And it always amazes me how God continues to provide insight into our sermons and our lessons. Amanda and I were in Florida last week and we were uh, on our way home and we were just on the radio just scanning, scanning the local radio stations when we came across Jonathan sharing a little bit of his story. Jonathan admits that he did not want to follow in his father's footsteps. He, he didn't want to be the, the circuit minister. He didn't want to be the, the pastor or leader of a church. Jonathan had a desire to play professional football, an even stronger desire to play for the Dallas Cowboys. His dream was to run out of the tunnel as a cowboy onto the field. That's what he wanted to do. After graduating from Baylor University, Jonathan was an undrafted free agent who was signed to play professional football. Not with the Dallas Cowboys, but with the Houston Texans. After a few injuries being bounced around the league, Jonathan never took the field. The dream to, to be a cowboy, to, to, to wear that gold star on, uh, on the uniform, to, to wear that cowboy uh, uniform, it was coming to an end. Then one night, in a, with a conversation with his wife, she asked, maybe God has something else in store for you besides your dream. Maybe there's another plan. Jonathan, he kind of argued, he's like, no, this is what God is leading me to, to, to be a cowboy. And, 
And, and, and the reality is no one is signing him to play professional football. As Jonathan wrestled with the idea that he would not be playing football professionally, he wasn't sure what was next. Romans 8, 28, it's a, it's a popular verse that gets used in Christian circles. Listen to this as I, as I read it. And we know that God causes everything to work together for the good of those who love God and are called according to his purpose for them. Paul writes to the church at Rome and he says that God causes everything to work together. God is the one who causes everything to work together for the good of those who love God and are called according to his purpose. Jonathan was chasing his dream of becoming a Dallas Cowboy. Shortly after that night where Jonathan and his wife had the conversation about his dream, the Dallas Cowboys reached out to Jonathan and they signed him to a contract, not to play football, but to become the next team chaplain. Jonathan is using his gift of communication that God has given to him for the purpose that God has called him to. Jonathan wanted to be a Dallas Cowboy, and he wanted to run out of that tunnel as a professional football player. But now Jonathan runs out of that tunnel, not as a football player and what he wanted to do, but as a team chaplain, influencing men, leading men to Christ. You know, this passage in Romans is one that is often debated, and usually it's interpreted two different ways. The first way has to do with God's sovereignty. God is sovereign, and God desired for Jonathan to go through everything he did because it was all part of God's sovereign plan to lead him to the Dallas Cowboys. What I'm saying there is that God allowed everything to happen. The, the injuries, the re-signing of different teams, the experiences along the way, everything God wanted it to happen so that he would end up being a Dallas Cowboy chaplain the way that he wanted him there. The second interpretation of, of this Romans passage still has to do with God's sovereignty. But... God allows free will in us to make choices, to make decisions. But in the end, God is still going to have Jonathan as part of the Dallas Cowboys. God's plan was to use Jonathan to influence men, to influence football players, to use his leverage within the sport to, to, to lead people to Christ. God allowed Jonathan to make the choices he made. And in the end, he brought Jonathan to the place he wanted him. This is not the time and the place for our debating of this theological difference. So we're not going to do that here. But this is the gist of our topic this week in our Core 52 journey. And it's certainly something that you need to think through on your own. 
Is God completely sovereign? And every single action or decision you make is part of his plan. And what I mean by that is, did God have a hand in making you make the decision you made in choosing your outfit that you're wearing today? Or does God allow you the free will to decide what you will wear? That's one scenario of God's sovereignty. How about this scenario? Has God already chosen the people who will decide to make Jesus the Lord of their life? Or does he allow people to make that decision on their own? That's a little bit more serious conversation that we need to have versus our outfits. Jesus makes a point regarding this in a parable found in Matthew. If you have your Bibles, this is where we're going to be the rest of the day. Matthew chapter 22, verses 2 through 13. The kingdom of heaven can be illustrated by the story of a king who prepared a great wedding feast for his son. When the banquet was ready, he sent his servants to notify those who were invited. But they all refused to come. So he sent other servants to tell them, The feast has been prepared. The bulls and fattened calves have been killed, and everything is ready. Come to the banquet. But the guests he had invited ignored them and went their own way, one to his farm, another to his business. Others seized his messengers and insulted them and killed them. The king was furious, and he sent out his army to destroy the murderers and burn their town. And he said to his servants, The wedding feast is ready, and the guests I invited aren't worthy of the honor. Now go out to the street corners and invite everyone you see. So the servants brought in everyone they could find, good and bad alike. And the banquet hall was filled with guests. But when the king came in to meet the guest, he noticed a man who wasn't wearing the proper clothes for a wedding. Friend, he asked, how is it that you are here without wedding clothes? But the man had no reply. Then the king said to his aides, bind his hands and feet and throw him into the outer darkness where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Let me summarize this so that we're all on the same page. Uh, Jesus is telling the story and he's talking to a particular group of people. There's a large crowd. He talks about a king who's throwing a party. It's a great wedding feast. And he sends out some invitations. And as it's time now for the, the banquet, it's time for the feast, he sends the servants to notify those who were invited, hey, the feast is ready. But the people who received the invites, they decided not to come. So the king sends another set of messengers out to relay the message once again that the party is ready. He's like, hey, we've, we've killed the bulls. We've killed the fattened calves. The food is getting cold. Let's go. Y'all come on. These invitees seemed offended. And they go to the extreme of killing the messengers. Well, the king is furious, and so he sends an army to punish these invitees. 
but the king still has a feast. He still has a banquet. He still has, has gone to all the effort of making these preparations for this party. He wants people to be there. So he sends another group of messengers and he just sends them to the streets. And he says, just start inviting anybody, everybody to come. And, and it says that people good and people bad showed up to this. All types of people showed up. And the banquet hall was, was full. Well, as the banquet gets underway, the king enters in the banquet hall. He's celebrating and he notices somebody. He notices one man. He says, hey, you're, you're not dressed the same as everyone else. You're, you're different. And so this man who's dressed differently gets thrown out into the darkness. Jesus summarizes this entire story in verse 14 of chapter 22. For many are called, but few are chosen. Those eight words of Jesus seem to drum up several different emotions, depending on how you interpret and depending on how you read this. The message seems harsh. Many are called but only a few are chosen. It comes across as God even being unloving. I mean, why would a loving God call many, but only choose a few? Well, we're not debating again on this platform in this moment, whether or not God chooses and he selects those who will come or if there's free will in the decision. So today we're just going to, we're going to look at this story and we're going to take Jesus's words at face value. Jesus is using a fictitious story to drive home a lesson or maybe a few lessons to his audience then. He has a crowd, Pharisees, Sadducees, the Herodians, if you will. All of those people are there. His disciples are there. He's debating a lot in this, this moment in time. And so Jesus is using this story to teach them a lesson, but he's also using this story to teach you and I a lesson as well. Let's look at a couple of the lessons. The first lesson is this. The first group of invitees had multiple opportunities to attend the great feast. For whatever reason, they chose not to attend. It, it, it says that they were busy. It says that they wanted to go back to their businesses to work and they wanted to go back to their farms to farm. It, it wasn't enough that they didn't attend. They also retaliated against those messengers sent to encourage their attendance. This first group of people is obviously the Jews. It's the audience that Jesus is speaking to. What an honor. Knowing what you and I know now, what an honor it is to be the first to be invited. But by rejecting the invite, by saying to the king, no, I am busy. No, I don't have time for you and your son in this, this wedding event that you're trying to celebrate. I don't have time for that. They have brought on their own demise. The second lesson is that everyone else has now been invited. Because of the 
the actions of the first group and the willingness to not respond and not participate, to do their own thing, the party is now opened up to other people, good and bad alike. The second group of people invited to the feast happened to be you and I. It, it happens to be those not of the Jewish faith, of the Jewish, Jewish origin, the Gentiles. We have been invited, but here's the thing we need to remember. We have to accept the invitation. The king is not going to force our hand at accepting the invitation. He wants whoever is willing to come to the party to celebrate this, this marriage between son and bride. He's not going to force your hand, but you've got to listen to the messengers and you have to accept the invite to come. Once the party has started, this is the third lesson, the king addresses one of the attenders. Hey, there's somebody here who's a little bit different than everyone else. So he approaches this person, friend, he asks, how is it that you are here without the proper clothing? At which point this person does not have an answer. So the king orders that this person who is different to be thrown from the wedding venue. And, and here's what we need to recognize. Here's what we need to take note of in regards to this person who's being cast out. We're, we are not allowed to come to the feast on our own terms. All are invited to come, but there is an expectation of proper attire. Not, not literally, Okay, not, not a literal, these are the proper wedding clothes I'm to wear to the party if I really want in. But we have to be willing to change for this special occasion. In this story, this one particular attender was not willing to change. And as a result, he was thrown out. At face value, those are the main points to think through. But as we think through those points, as we think through those lessons, and they're pretty simple, we need to remember Jesus' words were for his audience then and for you and I now. In this sequence of Matthew's recording Jesus' words, there are three groups of people trying to trip up Jesus. There's three groups of people. There's the Herodians, there's the Pharisees, and then there's the Sadducees. He is giving warning to them for their actions towards Jehovah God. With their choice in rejecting the invitation to the feast, they will suffer the consequences. That's what Jesus is saying to them. But what about you and I today? What are the implications of this for our lives right now? How, how can we, how about this question? How can we make sure that we are some of the few chosen? The parable has illustrated two ways in which the calling can be nullified. We can refuse the invitation when the day comes. We could say, nah, busy. Nope, 
I don't want to drop what I'm doing to go do that. I've got something more important to do. We can reject the invitation. Or the second thing, we could try to come to the party on our own terms. We could come and hang out when we want to. We can visit the party and then leave. We could, we could come in the same attire and not change at all. Those are the two ways, and that's what the lesson is for you and I. This parable is illustrated two ways in which the calling, many are called, can be nullified. Refusing the invitation and trying to come on my terms. If you're listening to this, hopefully you realize you have been invited. You have been invited to the feast. God wants you to be part of the party. God wants you to God wants you to, to, to be present in this marriage celebration. To show up to the party, you need to make Jesus Lord in your life. To our online community, if you don't know what this looks like, I beg you, please reach out to our church. If you're listening to this and you don't know what it's like or how, what, how you make Jesus Lord of your life, then, then I ask that you reach out to us and we will walk you through what needs to happen to accept the invite to the party. But when we accept the invite, and we don't get to come on our terms. The invite is for everybody. It doesn't matter your past. It doesn't matter the, the, the skeletons in your closet. It doesn't matter how good a person you are or how bad a person you think you might be. The invite is for everybody. The good and bad are invited. But when we accept the invite and we surrender to the Lordship of Jesus, when that takes place, we abide in him and change takes place. We are clothed. We are dressed the very way God expects, the very way the king expects us to be clothed. So what does the king want you and I to do next? I, I, I'm here. I don't want to reject the invitation. I want the invitation, King, and, and, and I'm not going to come on my terms. What's next? Invite others to the party. Church, you, you have people in your world who need this invite. And notice that it's not the King who does the inviting. It's the messengers. It's people already in the kingdom. It's people already associated with the king and the son and the feast and the banquet. These are the people that the king sends out to invite others to. This, this isn't, this isn't a, a party. This isn't a wedding on a budget. There's plenty of seats at the feast. That's what God wants us to do now. He wants us to invite others to the party. And as we do that, he wants us to strive. He wants us to become like Jesus. To be clothed as Jesus is clothed. The character 
in the love that he has for others. That's what we do next. Many are called, but few are chosen. Church, you can be part of the chosen. Until next week, we'll see you.